listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So church, let's read and then we will pray. Beginning in verse 15, please hear the word of the Lord. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once enslaved of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages... Of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, this morning we do come before you thankful for your faithfulness and provision for Bethel. It is not because we are deserving. It is not because we have earned anything. But it's because your plan for a lost and dying world is the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against your bride. And so thank you for this church of being a part of that. And Lord, would you continue to lead us, help us to be good stewards, to be cheerful givers, and may your uh, purpose be proclaimed in this city and wherever you may have us. This morning, Lord, we pray for those that are still sick and battling illness. Would you heal them even this morning and restore them once again. And Father, as we look at this passage this morning, would you give us eyes to see truth? Would you give us ears to hear it, minds to understand it, and hearts to believe it? Because I believe this morning that some of us need to hear some strong words of caution, of warning this morning, Lord. Lord, your grace is what saves us, what keeps us, and will present us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask these in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, I confessed to you my lack of control over salt and vinegar potato chips. And wouldn't you know it, I end up at a Bucky's, and they have their own brand. And in my mind, I'm preaching that message to myself, and my mind is working in overtime going, I bet they would want me to taste them to let them know 
how these compare. And I gave in once again. Because what the heart desires, the mind will justify. And it did. And the will is always going to choose. And that's what happened again to me this week. And they were really good. And so they measured up. But it's true with all things in life. What our heart, what we saw last week, what our heart desires, our mind will justify and our will is going to choose. Because the question last week was, okay, Paul, if grace is going to cause sin to increase and where sin increases, grace abounds even more, then let's just sin so that grace abounds more and more and increases increases and Paul said, absolutely not. In fact, I wish I had seen this quote last week to share with you. So I brought it this morning by F.F. Bruce, who captures it greatly. He says, to make being under grace an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. Because the question was such an abuse of grace, they were not understanding. And what we saw were three things from the first 14 verses. There's a truth to know, and that truth was in all of us, in Christ, we are so connected with Him. When He died, it's as if we died, and we died to sin. And then there was a truth to consider. Not just that that's true for other believers, but that's true for me, and I need to hear that. That needs to be something of a reality that I live with. And then there was a truth to present, to present ourselves, to live for righteousness. And so today's question is really similar. The question is this, is that since God's grace has freed us from the law, does that mean we should go on sinning? And you can read it there. He says, absolutely not. But here's another way to phrase this question that we'll see him answer today. Would be if the power of sin has been broken, then is sinning, is there really any danger in sinning. And that's really the question that is being asked here. And Paul would say, absolutely. Because here, there are so many dangers to sin. One is this. It's where sin always leads. Do you know sin is going to make you all kinds of promises? At least it does in my life. But it will always leave me disappointed. Sin will make all kinds of promises. And sin will always lead you further than you want to go. We could have anybody stand up here that's been caught in any type of sin and everybody would tell you, this is not where I thought things would end up. Sin will always take us further than we want to go because it always leads to destruction. And then sadly again this week, two men I read about. One of them, I sat under his teaching in seminary and to hear once again how sin has taken control of people. But another way sin is so dangerous is because how controlling it really is, and it seems to start in small ways, and then before long, you realize it is just almost impossible for that cycle to break. You know, we could even think of little things, not sinful things, maybe like habits. Um, I remember this guy, uh, Paul, you'll know Chuck Colley. So Chuck Colley's a great guy. He's been a part of Bethel. If you've been at the South Campus, Chuck is usually there. Chuck and I and Colley, great, great couple. Been around, I believe, from the start. But I had him come in to speak to a bunch of high school students, you know, to give them a, a word of encouragement as they were about to begin college and different things. And Chuck is one of these guys 
that he's probably one of the most disciplined men you'll ever meet. Got, got up every morning at the same time, he said. He, it was either three or four uh, fresh-squeezed oranges he had every morning. ate the same breakfast with the gym at the same hour. And then he tells me I only work out so I can eat cake. You know, I understand that. But he was a guy who was so disciplined. But he told us he nearly lost his first job out of college because of habits. He got into this habit of staying up really late, dragging himself to class, going home and taking a nap. He says, I'm not lying. He says, I nearly got fired because I could not stay awake all through the work day. Because he had developed this habit and that cycle was so hard to break. And so here's going to be Paul's point this morning. Whatever controls us is our Lord. Whatever controls you, whatever controls me, that is our Lord. And everyone sitting in here this morning, everyone is a slave to something. Everyone in here, we are offering ourselves to something or someone. Everyone in here, no one is exempt from this because everyone is living for something. In fact, every one of us are living and offering our lives on some type of altar. It's just true. There's all kinds of altars. We could be a slave to work, our egos, the limelight, or prestige, an image, slaves to money, slaves to certain habits. And what is always true is if a person is seeking power, power will control them. If you're seeking acceptance, acceptance will become your Lord. You will serve whatever is controlling around you. We are all controlled by the Lord's of our lives, no one is in control of themselves. Because whatever controls you is your Lord. And Paul is going to make that case because look back at verse 15. Let's walk through this together. What then? Thinking back through the truth that he's laid up in the first 14 verses of chapter 6, what then are we to say? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under Grace. So since we're under law, or not under the law, but under grace, should we continue sinning? And he says, absolutely not. Or another way to ask it is, is there really any danger in sinning? And then verse 16, he's going to show us. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, what you live for, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so Paul uses the imagery of slavery here for a reason. One, it was very common. When Paul is writing this time in the Roman Empire, it's estimated that a third of the population lived as slaves. And what that meant was it could happen for all kinds of reasons. One, maybe you didn't have enough money, you would offer yourselves as an indentured servant. Maybe uh, you had owed a lot of money and someone paid that debt and you're then working in that. But a slave at this time could work and save and then purchase their freedom. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, to pursue that end, to pursue freedom. So the readers of Rome, this was a very, very familiar reference. But I want you to see Paul is going to make several points here. One, the first one was this, whatever controls us is our Lord. He says, you are slaves to the one you obey. 
that our obedience proves or shows who our master is, that no one is free. Everyone is a slave to something. And notice the two options. And there's only two. There's no middle ground. There's no third option. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. In fact, the question is not whether you have a master. That's not up for debate. The only question is, which master are you serving? In fact, Luke 16, Matthew 6 tells us you cannot serve two masters. But the question isn't whether you're going to serve one. The question is, which one are we going to serve? And the truth is for all of us, it's just human nature. We are going to offer ourselves each and every day whatever we think, whatever we seek as our highest good in life. Whatever is your top priority, almost unknowingly you will pursue that. And the same is true for me. We offer ourselves to whatever we seek to be the highest good. One of mine I know is I never want to be wrong. And when that happens, happened this week, and I was shown that I am wrong, man, I, nothing in me wanted to admit it. Dug in my heels, became a baby, pouted about it, did all the things, because that was a threat to my highest good, and my good is always to be right. And I served the other master. So whatever controls us will be our Lord. We are a slave to something and there is no middle ground. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. That's the only two options. The third point I think he points out is that one master is going to lead to something and one to something else. He's going to show what each master leads to, but there's only two options. And he's going to begin with the positive in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin. And that's option number one. That is on the table, but here's the truth. All of us start out as slaves to this. That's where everyone begins. But they have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So even though there's only two options, he begins by saying, but there is great hope and reason to rejoice because some people have come out of that serving this, being a slave of sin to becoming a slave of righteousness. And notice how the change happens. You see in verse 17 where the transformation starts? It starts in the heart. Whatever controls us, what we seek to be the highest good, what we value the most That is what guides us. Then and only then, after a heart change, can there be a new master. Only when there is a change of heart, and notice where it comes from. It came from the standard of teaching to which they committed themselves to. Meaning that when there's a change of heart that comes from God's word, that is the only place, the only time you can find true freedom. And so I think we need to talk about this for a moment because when we think about freedom, at least me, I tend to think about getting to do what I want to do when I want to do it for how long and whatever quantity I choose. And when you're a child, when you're a kid, 
You know, you think about this, man, I can't wait for the day that I get to stay up as late as I want. Man, I can't wait for the day that I get to choose to do what I, and I'm going to eat as much Captain Crunch as I possibly can stand. I'm even going to drink it with Mountain Dew instead of milk. No, I really wouldn't do that. That's pretty nasty. But, you know, you, you dream as a kid of getting to choose to do the things you want to do. But freedom is not just getting to do what we want to do. I wanted to give us a better way to think about freedom. Freedom is not getting to do or not just doing what we want, but being delivered from the enslaving powers that are preventing us from becoming who God has for us. That true freedom only happens through God's Word when we get to see who we were truly created to be and then it frees us to be able to do that. That true freedom is finding out who God created you to be and to live in that. And I saw it this week in a great word picture. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the woman Elizabeth Elliot. She was the wife of Jim Elliot, the, the person that was martyred, uh, taking the gospel to an unreached people group, and she carried on that torch. But she told a story of getting to go to Scotland. She said one day she was watching a Scottish collie kind of tending to a, a flock of, sh uh, of sheep. And this is what she said. To watch that animal, he was doing what he was bred and trained to do. It was so beautiful to watch as he circled right and circled left, barking and crouching and racing along, herding a stray of sheep here or there. <coughs> his eyes, they were glued to the sheep while his ears listened for the tiny little metal whistle of his master. And she went on to say, I saw on that day, <coughs> excuse me, two creatures who were in the fullest sense in their glory. They were doing what they were created to do. To see a man who had given his life to sheep, who loved them and loved his dog, and a dog whose trust in a man, it was absolute, whose obedience was instant and unconditional. They were doing exactly what they were created to do. In that moment, I knew I was viewing true freedom. You know, in my life, I can look back and think when I was most miserable was when I knew I was being and I was doing things that God had not intended for me, and sometimes even good things. But I was most miserable when I was not doing what God created me to do. And true freedom is becoming who God has for you. And so I know the next question has got to be, then what is that? Because I'm kind of searching here. I'm trying a lot of things. I'm trying to figure this out. What does God want? Well, freedom is not just getting to do what we want to do, but becoming who he has for us. And so before we answer that question, he's going to show us there is only one master that can lead to that kind of freedom. And look at verse 19. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms. And what he means is, I'm about to give an illustration. But all illustrations, just like the one I shared, all illustrations are going to fall short in some way. So he's just preparing them. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, meaning 
their spiritual perspective, the, the way they're seeing things is weak and feeble and needs to be strengthened. So he's going to give them an illustration. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So he says, once you were enslaved to sin, that was what you were living for. But the problem with sin, you notice what it says there? Lawlessness or sin always leads to more lawlessness. Because sin will always take you further than you want to go. We've told our kids over and over again, you know what the problem is with lying? You can't tell just one. It's like a Girl Scout cookie. You know, you can't eat just one. You can't tell just one lie because what will happen? You will eventually have to tell another lie to cover that one up. No lie ever stands alone. He says, you present yourself to lawlessness. Just know the only thing it will produce is more and more lawlessness. And this was the old option. He says, this was the old master. But a new master has come to town. He goes on to say, so now present your members to slaves, to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So do you want to know what God desires for you? Paul has just laid it out. He says, one master from sin leads to more and more sin, and eventually that is going to lead to death. But there's another master that leads to righteousness, and this righteousness leads to sanctification. And sanctification is a way of saying a greater Christ-likeness. And that's God's desire for each and every person in here this morning. That we would become more like His Son. Because in the end, you know what He has promised? When we see Him face to face, we will become like Him. And God wants even in this day and time to see a greater Christ-likeness in His children. And as we are becoming more of who God wants us to be. Look at verse 20 and 21. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free, or at least you thought you were, in regard to righteousness. Meaning you didn't care about it. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, one of the biggest problems if you meet anybody that's in, caught in a cycle of addiction. One of the greatest things, the greatest struggles to break is not the addiction to whatever it might be, but it's the shame cycle that we get in. And we do something and it produces this shame. And the, everything I've read tells us about this is that that is actually what we get addicted to. It's the shame cycle. And Paul acknowledges it. He says, thinking of the things that you used to do, which you are now ashamed. And notice what he says, for the end of those things, notice what it produces, death. Meaning sin will always lead us to destruction. But don't let sin ever fool you. Sin is not our friend. And we so easily become complacent with it, but sin will always lead us further than we want to go. And it will parade itself, it will masquerade itself like all kinds of freedom. But in the end, it will only enslave us because whatever controls us is our Lord. And sin will always, it will offer you everything. 
It'll offer you pleasure. It'll offer you freedom. It'll offer you prestige. No matter what it is, acceptance, it will offer you all kinds of things. But in the end, it will always leave you disappointed. And you will find yourself ashamed wondering, why did I do that? Why did I allow myself to get roped up into that? But the problem is, is because we get so comfortable with sin. It's like Timothy Treadwell. You remember him? He was known as the grizzly man. This man was um, an American bear enthusiast. And he lived among the bears in Alaska's national forests, national parks. For 13 summers, he would go and live among these bears. Except in 2003, at the end of that summer, him and his girlfriend were killed by the very bears he was living amongst. That sin is not our friend. It should never be taken lightly. And so Paul says, no, if you're continuing in sin, you are spiritually killing yourself. Because in the end, it leads to death, not just a physical death, a spiritual death. But there's an alternative in verse 22. But now that you have been, past tense, set free from sin and have become slaves to God, there's another outcome. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So some get set free. Some have the blinders kind of removed from their eyes. They now have a new master. And we live under the control of that master. It doesn't lead to sin and death. It leads to sanctification, which leads to eternal life. A fruit that leads all the way to the end. So here's what happens when God transforms our hearts. When he changes our desires, he changes the things we care about. His word becomes a light into what life should be and what we should be pursuing. And when we embrace those truths, we pursue the life that he has for us. And then you get to experience a freedom that you had no idea was even there. And then day after day, you find yourself in a greater Christ likeness. But it only happens when the new identity comes and you get a new status. So the question I think Paul would want us to pause and to think is, what is my perspective? What is my hope this morning? What master am I serving? So then Paul quotes probably one of the most famous verses in the New Testament. If you've ever memorized the Roman road, this is one of them. In verse 23, he says, closes this chapter, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul chooses these words carefully. He says, for the wages of sin is death. And he's talking about, t- talking about a life that is lived outside of God, that is lived outside the gospel, that is in and of themselves, only concerned with them, and is completely rejecting the gospel. A life outside the gospel, not in Christ, he says, leads not only to physical death, but a spiritual death. And he's painting a picture where the sinner, lost forever, will spend eternity in conscious torment because of their sin and rebellion. And the Bible calls that place hell. But he uses the word wages. And so why would Paul choose this word? 
I believe he is using this word because it's a word that you know when you hear that. It talks about something I've earned or, or something I deserved. I put in the effort. I put in the time. I used my expertise. This is what I have earned. This is what I deserve. So meaning, when a person dies in their sin, dies rejecting the truth of the gospel, refuses to believe in the saving power of Jesus, they get exactly what they deserve. And they can never say, this is not fair. I don't deserve this. And Paul is laying this out to make sure people understand there's only two masters. And one leads to death. And if we continue down that road, we will get exactly what we deserve. But he wants us to know there's hope. There's a life that does not have to end that way. And notice how he says in the end of that verse, but the free gift, the complete opposite. It's a gift that's absolutely free. It's totally undeserved, totally unmerited. It's a gift of Christ. And that one doesn't lead to death. It leads to eternal life. And I believe this morning there are so many takeaways from these few verses this morning. So here's the challenge. Go this week. Spend some time reading this. Underlining some important things and ask God, God, show me what I need to see from these verses this week. And so I want to share with me what share with you what God showed me. One, I needed to hear sin is not my friend. And it is not something to take lightly. It's not something to play around with because sin will only lead to destruction. Sin will always take me further than I'm wanting to go. That it's not my friend. And I need to look at the sin in my life much more serious than I do. That I do not need to get complacent. Meaning for me, my greatest failure could still be ahead of me. And it only if it is, the only reason it doesn't is because by God's grace. Because there's no sin that I am above or that is beneath me. Second thing is that I believe I'm called to enjoy God here and also for all eternity. And sin wants to destroy that. That sin wants to stand in my way of experiencing the full life in Christ now, as full as I can, and sin wants to destroy that. And it will make me all kinds of promises. But it will always leave me disappointed. That sin does not want the best for me. It only wants to destroy what God desires. And I need to see sin as the enemy. Well, the third thing I saw that God spoke to me this week is that I need to be reminded more and more that there is so much more to come. You know, I find myself so most vulnerable is when I'm getting wrapped up in the perspective that this world is all there is and this is all that's important. And I start chasing the things that I love, like power and prestige and the limelight and the acceptance and all of the accolades. And I find whatever controls me, then that becomes my Lord. I need to remind myself to not lose sight that what is to come. Not getting so wrapped up just in the here and now. So this morning, hear Paul say, whatever controls us is our Lord. And so I don't often do this. I want to close this way. Is I want to share two books with you this morning. And I, I do this for hearing me say there is no book 
written by a man or a woman that stands at all equal to Scripture. And if you read only any book, please let it be God's Word. But I do believe God can use men and women today to cause us to think about some things in a way that hopefully drives us to Scripture even more. And so one of the books that over the years, and I'm, I'm committing myself to reread these, because I thought back through it and I read back through my notes. And so if this is something today that's spoken to you, I would encourage you to pick up, maybe you're looking for something new. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jeff Bridges. And because Paul in chapter 6 is weaving this course of balancing between abusing grace, a license to sin, at the same time not at all wanting to create any form of legalism that says my obedience adds to my salvation. And so Jeff Bridges does a great job of helping navigate that also called The Pursuit of of holiness. What are we called to as believers and how do we do that remaining in a world? But another one, man, it's a small book. It was an easy read called The Smell of Sin and the Fresh Air of Grace. Now I looked back over my notes and my highlights over the past week at times, finding it hard to continue reading or thinking about. Man, I can remember where I was sitting and what I was thinking when God used that phrase in my life. And so these are two books. If you're looking to something to add to your reading list, I would highly recommend these. But once again, these in no way trump or above Scripture. But I do think God can use the writings of men and women today to draw us to be more people of His Word. And so remember this morning that whatever controls us is our Lord. And may we serve the Master that leads to life and life eternal. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.